0: Let the last two weeks of college football be a lesson to everyone. Nothing is set in stone, nothing is guaranteed, and things can always radically change when you least suspect it. Two weeks ago, Oklahoma sat at home while top 10 teams dropped like flies. And this past week, Oklahoma took care of business, on the road against a 3-3 and team while Ohio State, the presumed overwhelming Big Ten favorite, lost by 29 points on the road to the 3-3 and team they were playing. Now this is basically my mea culpa for last week's opening take. I simply did not envision Ohio State being capable of losing by damn near 30 to an average team. The same surprises happen year after year, and yet we still have the capacity to make these predictions with certainty. Well, college football is going to college football, y'all. And these yearly curveballs, when we least expect it, is why we love this sport so much. We'll get into it further during the pod for sure, but as for now, Oklahoma's playoff chances no longer rest solely on Notre Dame, like I incorrectly asserted last week. Moving on, Oklahoma still needs to take care of business. Nothing has changed in that respect and I really believe this week's game against Kansas State will provide an interesting barometer for where Oklahoma is going to go in the second half of the season. Simply put, Kansas State is as bad this year as they've been in the last two decades under Bill Snyder. This is the worst Big 12 team they've played this year so far, period. However, their style of play is something that could really challenge Oklahoma. The Wildcats are going to want to run the ball. Alex Barnes, their starting running back, Leads the Big 12 in rushing. They're going to want to hold on to the ball and keep Oklahoma off the field for as long as humanly possible. Bill Snyder is watching the Army game and thinking that's exactly what he wants to do as well. The Sooners seemingly switching to a base 4-2-5 last week with a one-gap scheme should help them defend the run in this game. But if the Mike Stoops Sooners defense shows up, this one could get really hairy on the defensive side of the ball real quick. Here's my final comment. Although Kansas State does provide a unique challenge to Oklahoma to see where their run defense is, this is a game that a potential college football playoff team should win easily. If the Sooners come out, take care of business, and bury K-State from the start, then that's a sign this team might have what it takes to finish off the second half of the year with their goals intact. If they're not able to do that, and they struggle with Kansas State, well my confidence in this team will certainly be in flux. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest.
1: Second down and ten. Anderson trying to get outside. Breaks one tackle, turns the corner! Anderson sprinting! Touchdown! What a run from Anderson. Unbelievable. Rodney Anderson welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. His 22-yard touchdown in the final seconds of the fourth quarter broke a 35-35 tie a season ago in Manhattan. Oklahoma won the game 42-35, escaping the Little Apple with a win after trailing the Wildcats 21-10 at halftime. What's up, everybody? I am Lee Benson. Once again, this is West of Everest. Later on, I'll go into more details about iTunes and SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, email, all of that fun stuff. But for now, let's not waste any time on this podcast. Let's bring in Grant and jump into Oklahoma versus K-State. Hey, Grant. Hey, Lee.
0: I, that, that, that intro just makes me think, I'm so upset that we really only got like seven games of Rodney Anderson in his career. Mm. How, how, how disappointing yeah. is that? And this was, like, this was his coming-out party against Kansas State. Basically, that touchdown against Kansas State last year was his coming-out party. From, from, from that point on, he was the best running back in college football. And it only really lasted one game into the, the, the 2018 season. That was just, It's just really disappointing. He, he could have been an all-timer at OU, and really disappointing.
1: Yeah, so whenever he likely declares for the NFL, we'll see where he ends up getting drafted. And then as his NFL career... Begins. I guess we'll we'll all sit back and just kind of watch and wait and see if this guy has just had incredibly bad luck in college, and then maybe in the NFL he can somehow get his injury woes figured out, or if it continues to happen in the pros, and this dude just for whatever reasons one of those players that just gets hurt all the time. And yeah, I think I
0: I think just because it's been nearly, I mean, two months since he got hurt now, or we're getting close to that. It's been about a month and a half. People, I think, have already started to forget how good Rodney Anderson is and was for those seven to eight games where he was the—I mean, just like a, a a machine, a robot. The guy is just a physical specimen, and um, it's disappointing. I, I mean, I, I truly believe they'd probably be seven and zero right now if Rodney Anderson was on the team.
1: Well, I'm sure people aren't forgetting about Rodney Anderson. It's just that he doesn't come up a lot because it's—he's not been playing and and I mean he's at he played for Oklahoma whereas a couple of games it was his absence definitely hurt but now especially with Kennedy Brooks looking like he's going to become more of a a part of the offense it's just it's the thought of Rodney Anderson's not going to come up come up as much because the people behind him although Rodney's better than all of them are still very capable so that's the the upside to Oklahoma for sure on the offensive side of the ball let's uh Let's talk OU, Kansas State. But first, I want to quickly tease something that we'll do later on in the show, way, way later on in the show after all the Kansas State talk. Alabama. I hear this come up every once in a while. For the last month and even dating back to last year, the question comes up, is Alabama good or bad for college football? And every time I hear people talk about this, it always seems to be – football college football experts and I'll, I'll give you two examples later on in the show and there's probably more of people saying it's it's good for college football and i don't know if that's right so we're going to talk about that we asked about it on facebook as well as the, as the show goes on i'll make sure to check the facebook west facebook page to see if any of you out there have comments as well too we can talk about so i just wanted to tease that right now alabama is their dominance good or bad for college football That's later on in the show. Let's talk OU Kansas State. First is some injury updates, some important injury updates. Grant, Lincoln Riley on Monday had nothing new on Trey Sermon on Monday. So uh, when it comes to Trey Sermon, we're not sure. Of course, he took a helmet to the knee on Saturday against TCU. When it comes to Marquise Brown, though, Lincoln Riley did say that he does not anticipate any issues with Marquise Brown. So... That sounds like a good sign for Marquise Brown because you know I was very concerned about his leg, his left leg, and it sounds like hopefully he's fine, he'll be able to play, but we're not sure about Trey Sermon. Um, I'd like to think, I'd like to hope that if it's one of those things where maybe either one of these players is not 100% healthy, Oklahoma should be able to beat Kansas State and have success in offense without these two guys, and if they need to maybe rest them for another week... It, don't risk it if you don't have to I guess is my my first my first thought about uh, Oklahoma Kansas State with the injuries what do you think?
0: Yeah, I don't know I can see where you're coming from but at the same time it is a conference game and they are in a situation right now Lee where they I mean they got win out so you obviously want to be at full strength but at the same time I understand the, the the trepidation with playing those guys especially if you're not sure if they're hundred percent or if they could get you know injured again. I tend to think, just because Marquise Brown did play the rest of the game, that he probably is totally fine, and that maybe he just got his ankle rolled up. If it was like a high ankle sprain, then I think it would be a much bigger deal, obviously, then you'd probably be talking about two or three weeks, him being out. Uh, Sermon, you know, I'm a little more concerned about, just because he seemed to be in so much pain on Saturday. So I, this is a game where I, I think they probably could get by without Trey Sermon, but um, when you do that, you, you're also acknowledging, I mean, they're, they're very thin at running back now. They, they have three healthy running backs. I suppose ah, that's not true. I suppose, I, I suppose TJ Pledger is also healthy. Uh, so, you know, if they had to, they, they could go to that. But I, I'm sure they're, they're planning on redshirting him, so they don't want to do that. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see a whole lot of Kennedy Brooks and, and Marcelius Sutton on Saturday.
1: Yeah, uh, and hopefully they're just fine. It's just, I'm sure they'll, they'll dress and maybe they'll kind of play it by ear and see how the game goes and see if they need them or not. But it just, it would be terrible if, if uh, they weren't 100% and they were in risk of getting further injured and they, they do. But the, the OU training staff, I'm sure, will figure it out. So those are the injury updates. Let's, uh, the first thing I want to do, I, I guess, the second thing I want to do now is let's look back to last year, OU at Kansas State. And Grant, I went back and looked at our rundown on the lead-up to the Kansas State game in 2017, and I was pretty amused by the first question that I posed about the Kansas State offense against the Oklahoma defense. The question was, who is Alex Delton, and should Oklahoma's defense be worried? Well, Delton ended up having a pretty massive game against the Sooners a year ago, aside from one terrible interception he threw to Jordan Thomas. But this year, Alex, Del- <clears throat> excuse me, Alex Delton is out of the picture because he's, really really bad at quarterback i think uh i think he, alex delton and alex Hornerbrook of wisconsin are in a running gun battle for worst arm in college football i think those are the two candidates for worst arm in college football uh skylar thompson is in now at quarterback for kansas state so far it's been pretty good since they've gone exclusively to skylar thompson at least from what i've seen grant what are your thoughts on all of this quarterback stuff when it comes to kansas state
0: I think you owe Alex Hornibrook a, an apology, to be honest with you.
1: Nope, I do not. Both of those guys' arms are one guy's a lefty, one guy's a righty. Both have horrible arms, arm strength.
0: Don't get me wrong here. I, I don't think Alex Hornibrook's particularly talented or good, but to put him on the same plane as Alex Delton, the worst thrower of the forward pass in college football, is, I'm just is, talking is a little Straight mean. up arm strength. Arm strength. Okay, fair enough, I suppose. I, I mean, I mean I,
1: clearly, Horderbrook is a lot more talented with his ball location and his timing and his general awareness on how to play the quarterback position. There's no question about that.
0: I generally disagree with you. Uh, Alex Delton is truly an awful quarterback. However, I, I mean, he is what it is. He, he was he was a running back playing quarterback. Um, and man, he, he sure had a good game last year against the Sooners so oh man yeah I'm just I'm having I'm having PTSD now thinking about thinking back to that game last year what a joke that game was
1: I think he was 12 of 14 throwing the ball in that game which is going to go down as his greatest passing game of his career there's going to be no question about that right I mean I mean he completed well, yeah. nearly 100 percent of his passes <laughs> Against Oklahoma. But you which know, doesn't happen.
0: Sure. I mean, even in the best throwing game of his career though, he was he still threw just a horrendous interception. So mm-hmm. I mean he, he he at least got to fit that in in there as well. No, I mean everyone watched the game last year. I mean it was uh you know, a lot of guys running open, which is which became, you know, obviously a theme of the Mike Stoops defense, and then Delton, you know, on on a lot of those, you know, pulling guard plays and, and uh, quarterback keepers, he was getting chunk yardage, and that's really his game. That's what he. That's what they try to get him to do. And um, if you shut that down, he he generally becomes a, a useless quarterback back there. Um, and so I, I think, and especially Lee, I, I watched a lot of Kansas State today, um, which I, I wouldn't recommend anybody do unless you want to <laughs> unless you want to die of boredom. Uh, but the one, the one game I watched where, where Alex Delton was the starter was the game against Texas Lee. And my God, that was one of the worst offensive performances, like first half offensive performances I, like, I've ever seen. Kansas State was so inept in the first half against Texas. It was hilarious.
1: Yeah, zero points in the first half for Kansas State in that game against Texas. Delton had 14, yard, 14 yards passing in the first half of that game. And at halftime is when they switched over to Skylar Thompson. That was two and a half games ago now for Kansas State. And in only four second-half possessions versus Texas, Kansas State went touchdown punt, touchdown punt, 173 total yards uh, in 34 plays. They averaged five yards per play. And in the first half with Alex Delton the quarterback, against Texas, they averaged 3.6 yards per play. So definitely an improvement with Thompson – And in the last two games, with Thompson being the exclusive starter at Baylor on October 6th and against Oklahoma State on October 13th before the bye, Oklahoma State, uh, Oklahoma State, Kansas State's offense has been the best it's been all season long, Grant. And that's what's kind of interesting about this matchup, I think, is Oklahoma is getting Kansas State. Kansas State's offense is not particularly great statistically, and it's just not particularly great in general, but. This is the best Kansas State's offense has been all season long. Whereas last week, you got a TCU offense that's also not particularly good statistically and not particularly good in general. But TCU's offense was going the other way. They were going backwards. And then finally, they made the switch to Michael Collins, and it looked like that helped a little bit. So now Oklahoma's going to get the test of an offense that's actually on the upswing relative to what it's done so far this season. So this is going to be a bigger test, I think, than the game against TCU.
0: Interesting. Um, I, would, I would disagree there just because Kansas State does not present the same type of athlete on the offensive side of the ball. One of the things that really stands out to me when I watch Kansas State, Lee, is how they are completely void of any downfield threats whatsoever. They just don't have any. Um, and really, the only weapon they have on offense is Alex Barnes, their running back. He's the only weapon.
1: Here's a couple other questions, and we'll we'll dive more, obviously, into the the matchup and the players. Uh, Just looking back, though, at last year's rundown, because I I did find a couple of the topics amusing but also relevant to this year's game as well. And here's the next question I had on there. Are you worried that Oklahoma will not be prepared for Kansas State and revert back to the Baylor-Iowa slash State levels of defense? And, of course, if you remember back to last year, The Baylor game was atrocious defensively, and the Iowa State game wasn't very good either when they allowed a backup quarterback to dice them up on Owen Field. And it turns out that Oklahoma was most certainly not prepared for Kansas State in 2017. The Wildcats ran all over Oklahoma, jumped out to a double-digit halftime lead. Then after halftime, the defense adjusted pretty well. But it was unacceptable, Grant, that the Sooners' defense was so ill-prepared to face Kansas State's one-dimensional offense from the jump which we talked about leading up to that game all the time, is just you got to be able to stop the run. That's all Kansas State can do with Alex Delton. So, moving things ahead to this Saturday, October 27th, 2018, with Mike Stoops now out of the picture, what are the chances that Oklahoma will be more prepared for Kansas State's offense this season? I think the chances are better, don't you think? Um, Yes.
0: I mean, as as Mike Stoops' tenure went on, especially the last two years, the, the, the meme of being you know ill prepared in pretty big, pretty big games or maybe games that, you know, we didn't really circle on the calendar that became quite the theme, you know, pointing back now to, to the army game and, and you know, Texas also a huge game where they were not prepared for as all or uh, for as well. But yeah, Lee, I I'm obviously a little more encouraged just with the new coaching staff and it, you know, it's not a new coaching staff. It's, it's, one guy being removed from the coaching staff, but um, they're one for one. I thought they were prepared for TCU, and so I got I got to tell you, Lee, this Kansas State offense sh- just should not be difficult to prepare for. this This week is all is is all going to be about sound defense, fitting your run, uh, y- y- your run gaps, um, reading your keys, and tackling. That's what it's about
1: this week. Well, let's table that for a second because I have a question that's re- uh, you know that that's kind of based off of Kansas State's offense not being that difficult to prepare for and get back to what you were talking about a moment ago when I was bringing up how I think this is actually going to be more of a test for Oklahoma's defense than TCU was you don't seem to think so why is that you mentioned the athletes on TCU there's there's more athletes and that what uh, Barnes is really the only really scary player on Kansas State's offense is that the the big reason why you don't you don't think this will be as big of a test?
0: Yeah, TCU could just stretch you in a lot of different ways. They're just a lot more explosive. They had two guys on the outside with Turpin, who is no longer a college football player, um, and Jalen Rager as well on the outside. Those guys are just, they were really good players. And Kansas State doesn't have anyone like that on their roster. Um, they also had Darius Anderson, who really didn't get a lot of run on Saturday at all. Um, who could who could take it to the house at any time too, and then Sean Robinson also starting the game, and I know he he didn't do much, but he was a guy who presented challenges with his legs, but probably not more so than than Skyler Thompson and Alex Delton uh, would. Yeah, I mean TCU just had a lot more offensive playmakers than Kansas State does. They they Kansas State, I, I think if they're going to win this game, it's it's going to be on the back of Alex Barnes and you know. If he touches the ball 30 to 35 times, which is what – if Kansas State wants to win this game, that's probably how much they're going to have to feed it to him. I, I just – they just don't have anyone really on the outside. I mean, on the, on, on the broadcast, you'll probably hear them talk about Isaiah Zuber a little bit. He's just kind of a guy, but he just happens to be Kansas State's number one receiver. So, um, yeah, they, they're, they're really void of, of offensive playmakers. They really don't have a lot. They're all about being sound up front, getting a hat on a hat – and just giving Alex Barnes the ball and just let him eat, basically.
1: So, and I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, I think there's obvious examples that you provided of TCU's offense being more dynamic, just having better players. is going to be their player that they try to stretch the field with. He has a, a long touchdown this year of 72 yards. I don't know what, how that happened because I didn't catch that on tape. So it just shows I didn't watch enough tape, probably. It sounds like you watch a lot more than me, which uh, is good on you. So, yeah, I mean, but he he is – he's a good player. I mean, I've seen a little bit of him. I mean, he's a guy that – especially against Oklahoma's defense this year. I mean, we've seen wide receivers that – I mean, good wide receivers play really well, and guys that maybe you wouldn't expect would be good wide receivers look a lot better against Oklahoma's defense. Granted, now maybe it's different because Ruffin McNeil's in charge and and Mike Stoops is not. I mean – Jalen Rager just had that one catch all game against, uh, against Oklahoma for TCU. It, granted, it was a touchdown, and Turpin did have a big game. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, a couple big plays. Oklahoma's defense did play well, but, um, yeah, you're right, though. This Kansas State offense, and, and, you know, why has it been better recently? And I'll just have a couple numbers of you know to explain and just to, to drive home that. My point earlier is that Kansas State's offense, again, not particularly statistically eye-popping. But recently, they've been better uh, against Texas. Again, in the second half, they averaged five yards per play, which is not great, but it's so much better than they were doing in the first half. And man, Kansas State could have easily won that game against Texas. They missed out on a touchdown early in the, in the last play of the second quarter. Guy dropped a touchdown in the end zone. And that was even with Delton in. Uh, and then at Baylor a week later, Kansas State averaged 7.6 yards per play against Baylor. And, and granted, Baylor's defense is not very good. They racked up 468 yards. It did exactly what they needed to do against a bad Baylor defense, and it was in Waco. Uh, and then also the most recent game against Oklahoma State, just 5.4 yards per play, uh, over 420 yards. So, I mean, not, not nearly as good as they were against Baylor, but Kansas State's offense seemingly has gotten better. And just compare that to earlier in the year where they played Mississippi State, averaged less than four yards per play against the Bulldogs at home, uh, their best game to date before all of these was UTSA, which was 7.1 yards per play. UTSA, outs- obviously a, a mid-major team. They only averaged 4.8 yards per play against West Virginia and 5.4 against South Dakota State in the opening game, a game where Kansas State was lucky to get out of there with a win. So this is not a very good football team, as you have made the case for, but I think this is the best they've played all year. Therefore, uh Put it this way, it would have been nicer if Oklahoma would have played them perhaps maybe earlier in the year. Granted, they would have had Mike Stoops, so therefore maybe it would have been a repeat of Delton <laughs> last year because Delton had his best game of his career uh, against Mike Stoops' defense a, a season ago. And and I'm just super curious to see with that one change if Oklahoma can be a lot more successful this year, although it's not going to be Delton, it's going to be Skyler Thompson. Um, let's see. that. I have one other question about the defense. And it goes back to what you were saying about how this is a, should be a pretty simple offense to prepare for, right? Is this the perfect situation for Ruffin McNeil's simplistic new defensive philosophy?
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at with, with how the game is all about your run fits and playing sound defense. Because that's really what it was. Lee, in the first half of that game last year, um, a lot of people forget. I mean, they, they, they weren't ready to play. But in that game, I mean, they were just they were just getting whipped up front by Kansas State in that game. There really wasn't, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot they could do except play better, which they did in the second half. Um, and so I, I do want to kind of revisit. Uh, you, you mentioned how, how Kansas State has struggled in a lot of their games. Uh, that Baylor game, which was a couple weeks ago, a game that they lost actually in Waco. Um, but... They were they were pretty successful on offense in that game. Like you said, they averaged nearly eight yards per play in that game, and a lot of that came on really big explosive runs uh, from Alex Barnes. And I, I they they didn't have that full game on on YouTube, so I was only able to see bits and pieces of it. Um, but a lot of it was 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 Alex Barnes just kind of getting past the line of scrimmage because Baylor was really dedicating and a lot a lot of guys uh, to stop to try to stop the run against against k-state and they really weren't able to so alex barnes is able to bust off i mean i think he had he had at least three 50 plus yard runs um so Obviously, they had a good game against a good game against Baylor. Baylor, on you know, on the flip side, was really successful against their defense as well. But we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, and then again, Lee, I, I did watch the entire game that they played two weeks ago against Oklahoma State, and to me, especially on offense for Kansas State, that was a tale of two halves. It really seemed like in the second half, they just they just wore down Oklahoma State uh, because for the most part, they, they they really weren't great on offense in the first half. They were pretty uh, pretty inefficient. Um, I. Went three and out a few times and and weren't great once they passed the fifty. I'm I'm looking here; Um, they had a combined in the first half against Oklahoma State. Lead they had a thirty percent success rate as a team, uh, which is bad. And then the second half, uh, they were up at fifty six and a half percent, which is very good. So Kansas State, yeah, Oklahoma State's offense
1: let let them down in that game because Oklahoma State's defense held Kansas State to three points in the first half, but. The Cowboys' offense only managed two field goals. Yep, yep. And geez, I, just uh, just a sidebar here:
0: that was really the first time I've closely watched Oklahoma State. Taylor Cornelius is terrible; like he's not good. That at was all. that
1: was his. I think that was technically his worst game, which you know came at a bad time for him because the bye was coming up. But is, he's still the starting quarterback, which it tells me that the guys behind him. Spencer Sanders and Drew Brown must not be must not be looking that great at practice to to usurp Cornelius which is not not a great. I mean with the freshman Sanders, you know, I know Gundy mentioned earlier this year he's not a big fan of playing freshman anyway, so maybe that factors in a bit, but uh, the quarterback spot at Oklahoma State at least this year is not not very promising. And that was Anyways, just, get, yeah, yeah, you can that, get back to Kansas State though. That, that was just okay.
0: a sidebar. Um one thing, Lee, I noticed in the second half for Kansas State that I thought really kind of spurred um, or at least kind of was the start of a lot of their offensive success, Oklahoma State early on on that first drive in the second half, they were able to get Kansas State in a third, uh, third and medium, third and long a couple times. And Skylar Thompson was able to sit back, um, go through all of his progressions. Then he, he took off, scrambles, because they they didn't spy him. They gave him a lot of space. And they gave up two really big scrambles to Skylar Thompson that kept the drive going, and I i have noticed that with Skylar Thompson. That's actually the part of his game that worries me the most. He's a very savvy scrambler, um, and I hate that because it's annoying. He's not particularly fast. He's not particularly athletic. He can run, so it's not—it's—he's um, not a statue back there. But he's just—he—he he picks his spots really nicely, and I think that's the best part of his game. And so watching him in that Oklahoma State game makes me think I, I really hope they employ a, a spy on third downs against him because I, I think he can hurt OU with uh, just scrambling with, with how savvy he is with it.
1: Yeah, I just think in terms of third down against TCU last week when Oklahoma would go into that dime package at least, again, at least three times. I'm not sure. It might have been four or five times. And they played two-man and they had Kenneth Murray on the running back. From what I remember, though, I don't think they had anybody accounted for uh, accounted for the quarterback Collins and even Sean Robinson because early in the game when they went to it, Sean Robinson had to scramble, and it looked to me that Kenneth Murray had to break off of his man, the running back, to look back and see Robinson to come in and make the tackle, whereas if there truly wasn't anybody assigned to the quarterback, that could be a problem in this one if they continue to use that little wrinkle, which... I don't see why they wouldn't, uh, especially because they like to do that when it was third down and decently long, third and seven and longer. They would like to use that. So, yeah, if if they choose to do that again and there's nobody accounting for Skylar Thompson, yeah, that could be a problem because the middle of the field might be wide open.
0: Yeah, and then he'll 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 keep it, you know. Sometimes on that zone read as well, which the Sooners showed that they had a problem with last week, when Michael Collins was doing that as well. Um, and Michael Collins was actually, you know, able to kind of squirt through a few times and 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 pull off a few good runs. And Skylar Thompson is is a better runner than Michael Collins. That's that's very clear. Uh, right when you watch them. So amongst you know that and and another thing that I'm worried about, obviously Alex Barnes. I, I'm I'm really worried about Alex Barnes. Um, especially with you know maybe that cutback lane which the Sooners have had so much trouble with the past two three years they they like to hit that a lot at Kansas State they they do a lot of the pulling guard action so Kansas State is really gonna is really gonna test your physicality Lee and that I mean we're lying to ourselves if if we say that hasn't been a problem for OU the last
1: couple years yeah absolutely has and listening to Ruffin McNeil talk Tuesday night about it he says he had a lot of he looks up to Bill Snyder. He talks about how everyone always says their teams are, his, his teams are physical and really good up front, and he says this one's not any different, basically, and it's all about uh, understanding their, which gaps need, they need to fit into and just effort. And I like the way the, def- the defensive line played against TCU with that even front, and this is going to be quite a bit of a test, especially considering that, I guess, Kansas State's offensive line early on in the year was not playing very well. Which was surprising, probably to a lot of people, because Kansas State famously was returning their entire offensive line this year. But apparently, one or two of the guys wasn't very good, so they subbed them out, and they've been better recently. And man, do they love to! Does Alex Barnes love to just kind of wait in the backfield and wait for a hole to open up and then hit it? I mean, it's an incredibly patient philosophy on offense for Kansas State and it'd be so great to see Oklahoma's defensive linemen and linebackers as well because the linebackers need to be more aggressive reading run and going through those gaps and dismantling plays at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage so that they can't wait for those blocks to develop
0: yeah I agree this is going to be a really interesting game I'm going to be watching the defense really closely because this is a Kansas State team that is, that is very one-dimensional, but the thing that they do, that, that they do they do it fairly well. And they have a guy back there who really can tote the rock. He's a good player. Alex Barnes is. We saw him last year. He, he broke off that 80-yarder like that to start the game last year, if you guys remember.
1: Um, it was basically the, the same exact play in the Rose Bowl that Sonny Michel broke off for 75 yards. It looked the same, exactly the same. He could drive a truck through the hole in the middle of the field. Was it the Both exact instances. same play? I mean I don't know I it, it was the exact same result seemingly because just right through the middle of Oklahoma's defense oh. with uh middle linebacker absent put it that way God, you just triggered me that hurts yeah man yeah, And I believe uh was it the second play of the game or the third play of the game for Kansas I think it might have been the second play of the game I think it was on second down and like 10 second and nine but uh yeah sorry for triggering you um Here's one thing about Ruffin McNeil that we haven't really talked about on the podcast that I found to be interesting as we learned about his philosophy over the last couple of weeks. And you've probably heard this too. For the TCU game, nothing new was put into the defensive game plan after Wednesday. And what Ruffin McNeil likes to do too is when you get towards game time, if, if anybody on the defense is not comfortable with something or is confused by a call – he just pitches it. He just tosses it out of the game plan. Therefore, once the game begins, all 11 guys, or I guess it's more than 11 because they sub a lot, everybody's on the same page. Everybody's comfortable and confident in what the calls are going to be. And he's even said that you know, if, if at some point they got to throw out stuff and it, they just play a base defense because that's what people are comfortable doing, then they got to do it, which, all right, there's two different ways to think about this. One, all right, that's great because that means all the players on the field are going to be confident in what the calls are, play to play, and they won't be thinking too much. Okay, that's good. But at the same time, though, that can be bad if you have some good wrinkles thrown in and maybe one or two guys just don't get it, and that takes away a defense that could have some nice effectiveness against a certain offense. And when you face better offenses that Oklahoma's going to later on, you know, if certain players aren't comfortable or confident in certain calls that can end up hurting them in the future but the upside though to this is that this is such a simple kansas state offense hopefully this again this simplistic philosophy where if a player or two or more are not comfortable with something and ruffin mcneil says all right we're throwing that out for this game it's not going to be that big of a deal and oklahoma can be more uh can be a lot more fast which is another thing Ruffin McNeil likes to say is that whenever the players are thinking too much, he says when they have a cloudy mind, they're going to have slow feet. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen whenever they're confident in the calls and they'll have fast feet and be able to attack gaps and be able to make plays in the backfield. So what are your thoughts on Ruffin McNeil's philosophy of setting the game plan and not really adding anything new past Wednesday and then tossing out certain things if, if one or two guys or more are not comfortable with it?
0: I think I like it just because it's it's better to to not be confused than it is to be confused. So obviously if there's plays in there that are a problem for, for one or two or a lot of people on the defense, you don't really want to be calling those plays because it's probably going to end up in a bust um, as long as the offense calls the right play in that situation. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I, think, I, I think we had sort of theorized that maybe some of their issues on defense were because they just didn't get what they were what, what they were supposed to do a lot of the times. I think Mike Stoops is trying to get was trying to get a little too clever by half with some of his coverages across the field. So I'm I would much prefer that they know exactly where they're supposed to be so they can just so they can just play fast defense. I think that's really what they've been missing a lot of. I think they have I think they have the athletic ability and they have the talent to go out there and just and, and play fast and, and, and take care of a team like Kansas State. Now, if you're talking about uh, you know, talking about playing West Virginia or Texas Tech, that's probably a game where you probably want a little more complicated stuff in there, and, and hopefully that's stuff that you can add in and, and people won't get confused with it. But for a game like this, I, I, I'm fine with that, and I think that's probably the right, the right thing to do, especially when you need to right the ship um, like they needed to. And there was, there was clearly something not working, Um, and and I got to think that was a big part of it, was guys just honestly not knowing where they were supposed to be at all times or or being confused with the calls on the field or just not being on the same page with other guys on defense. So I like it. Anything, anything to simplify and make it easier on the defense so that they can play fast and physical. That's all I care about.
1: I like it too, and then also you you add in the one obvious new wrinkle against TCU was that dime package on third down where they, they ran out there, we'll say a handful of times. And Oklahoma had success doing it, and maybe since everything else was so simple in the game plan that you know you throw in this one different wrinkle, everybody can get behind it and everybody understands it because it's not that that much stuff to to think about. So you're like, okay, if, if I can wrap my head around this one new wrinkle, that shouldn't be that difficult. I, I'll figure out what I'm supposed to do here, and it'll be more fun. So, you know, okay, that's in the playbook now. Moving forward, everybody seemed to understand it. All right, they can use that if they need to. I'd like to think that now we're going to see maybe one more new type wrinkle in this game. Granted, it's it's an interesting t- uh, Kansas State offense with you know, using big fronts and no, it's not much of a spread. So you know, I'm not sure what Ruffin McNeil's going to do wrinkle-wise or different-wise. I mean, I'm, he'll think of something, I bet, considering we, we saw it against TCU. But I guess that's another positive to the super oversimplification is that, okay, there's not a whole lot there. So you can add one or two different things, and it'll make it easier, I think, for those guys to wrap their heads around the new wrinkles and then you know one one or two different things shown in offense can have some excellent success because that offense won't particularly be prepared for it in in theory so that's again it gets, especially against Kansas State, too, where it's an offense that is pretty simple. They're not going to try to trick you a whole lot, they're just going to line it up and. And try to run the football. All right. Where are we on the show? Okay. Yeah. Before we talk about the Sooners offense, let me thank all of you for the latest ratings and reviews that you're putting out there on iTunes. Some of the reviews and ratings have been negative, which is going to happen. You can't make everybody happy. But honestly, you know, if you're out there and you care enough to take the time to write something about the show, even if it is negative, that tells me that there's something about this show that makes you want to come back and consume it, which I think is, is cool. Uh, but we do prefer those positive five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes, of course. Everybody that has a podcast would prefer those. So uh, the more ratings and reviews, specifically the positive ones, the more it helps grow the show. So just throwing that one out there. If you're on Twitter, follow Grant at GrantBenson25. Follow me at Lee Benson News nine. Plus, you can like the show on Facebook. If you just search West of Everest Facebook, maybe in Google you'll find it, or if you just go to Facebook and search West of Everest, you'll be able to find the page. Uh, I put up a question today on Facebook to get some of your listener feedback about some of the topics on the show. Did it kind of late in the day, so I don't know if we'll get a whole lot of feedback, but uh, if you like the page, you'll be able to see those comments and questions, and you'll be able to contribute to the show in the future if you would like. And also, if you have email, you still like to use email, go ahead and reach out. WestofEverest@gmail.com. at gmail.com. So to Oklahoma's offense versus Kansas State's defense. And here's how I'm going to start this. OU's offense is beginning to hit its stride this year. The line, the offensive line, it's gelling. You got Kennedy Brooks now part of the running back rotation, it looks like. Kyler Murray is still playing tremendous football. But when you look back to last year, Kansas State was able to hold Oklahoma to just 10 points in the first half in Manhattan, so perhaps the Wildcats' defense knows something about a Lincoln Riley offense. Grant, can you imagine Kansas State holding the Sooners to just one touchdown in the first half this upcoming Saturday? I mean,
0: lots of stuff can happen. It's it's very unlikely, but you never. I mean, you never know what could happen. The Sooners could get down into the red zone and turn it over a couple times. It could be an army game situation where the Sooners only have the ball three or four times in the first half. Uh, but to answer your question, no, I, I find it I find it incredibly unlikely for for Kansas State to hold them to one touchdown. and I, I, w- I would put the odds at at very close to zero.
1: I think it's incredibly unlikely as well. and And you brought up the reasons why it it could happen. I mean, go back to the Oklahoma State, Kansas State game. A touchdown was basically not taken off the board by Oklahoma State or an Oklahoma State touchdown because I think it would have been an incomplete pass, but there was a deep ball that Oklahoma State almost completed, and the cornerback for Kansas State, whose name is escaping me, their best, uh, Shelley Duke Shelley, I believe, uh, had uh, just an incredible interception where the ball just kind of materialized in his arms and he was able to get his feet down. And it kind of reminded me of, of a way of last year's OU-Kansas State game where Mayfield was picked off in the end zone on a pass attempt to C.D. Lamb that was just miraculously caught and somehow intercepted keeping his feet in bounds can't remember who the player was who made the play it was dj reed okay dj reed which was just partly of why oklahoma was held to just one touchdown in the first half a very fortunate lucky play and kansas state got one of those against oklahoma state in the first half and then Shelley got another interception later in the game to kind of seal the game away and he's 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 one of the best players on this kansas state defense so he's a player that could make some plays but uh yeah you got to Think that it's going to take some incredibly fortunate instances by Kansas State's defense to to hold this team down, or some some real nice time of possession plays by Kansas State's offense to keep the ball away from Kyler Murray and company. Because uh, yeah, the ten points last year in the first half for for OU against Kansas State was incredibly stunning, and I remember being at that game and thinking, man, this is this is weird, and is Oklahoma going to lose to Kansas State? Man, I mean, because Kansas State at the time, I believe, was very similar to what they are now. I mean, I think Kansas State was either 3-3 and or 3-4 and at the time. That was not a very good Kansas State team, and Oklahoma almost lost to them. So uh, I'd like to think the Oklahoma offense, though, and you made the point last podcast, they've played the best defenses already in the Big 12. There shouldn't be a defense or there, that can hold Oklahoma to under 50 moving forward, and that includes Kansas State.
0: Yeah, Lee and I know these uh these segments on the show this year for you know on the offense has basically turned into us just fawning over the offense and, and talking about how the other team has no chance but Lee I mean the same thing is gonna happen in this game uh, Kansas State doesn't have much of a chance against Oklahoma's offense um, I'm looking I'm looking through their ancillary numbers here in S P, trying to find anything that they do well on offense Lee or on defense um, and the one thing that they're that they're pretty good at is just limiting explosive plays and that's it but lee kansas state they are 123rd in the country in defensive success rate they're giving up a successful play nearly 50 percent of the time that's awful ou is about to eat on saturday they're gonna do whatever they want against kansas state on offense
1: so you're saying all these incredibly negative numbers about kansas state's defense yet this kansas state defense held Texas to one, I think, one offensive touchdown. <laughs> Which Texas doesn't have a very good offense, but that just kind of shows you, though.
0: Texas is, is below average, is average to below average on offense.
1: No, but my point is, though, that this, this not great Kansas State defense found a way to play pretty well against Texas where oh you could not. And Oklahoma's defensive numbers weren't, were they as bad as Kansas State's are before that Texas game? And the stuff that you're looking at, or do you even remember? Uh, they're close. They're
0: so. I mean, the defenses are sl- are slightly similar in the sense, you know, kind of before that Texas game. The only thing OU did well was limit big plays, uh, kind of like Kansas State. OU was a little better at it, but OU was quite a bit better in the in the success rate area. I think they were kind of around like 80th or 90th in the country, not 123rd. Um, you know, I, Kansas State does not have a good defense. They're 80th overall in defensive S and if it wasn't if it wasn't for their propensity for limiting big plays, they would they would be in the in the 100s and on defense. They're re- they they are really bad on defense, especially run defense. They get
1: absolutely run over um, on defense. So it's a bad time for Kansas State to be facing an Oklahoma offensive line and running game that seems to be figuring things out over the last couple of games. Is yep. what You're telling me,
0: yes, and Lee. So and and when I say um, explosiveness in the uh, if that's the one thing they're good at. They're they're not they are not good in preventing explosive running plays. They're 96th in that. They're 120th in rushing S and P defense. That's atrocious. OU's offensive line, it's it's time to eat on Saturday because there's going to be a lot of yards for the taking.
1: Granted, uh, a couple games though this year against bad rushing defenses, UCLA. At the time, yeah, it was it was week two, but I don't think UCLA's defense is particularly great, and UCLA was actually able to slow down Oklahoma's running game pretty good. And then Baylor, Baylor's rush defense was atrocious, and Baylor was able to to have some success stopping the run because they loaded up against it, which then in turn allowed Kyler Murray just to throw screen passes out to Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb and let them run for long touchdowns. So I mean, Oklahoma obviously adjusted and. Said okay, you take this array, take this away. We'll just do this, and we'll score. But I, I'm just trying to think of ways to to give Kansas State a little bit of credit. But that's the thing. Okay, so you know, you and I, we like to to look at the tape, and you know, you go into the, the numbers a lot, and we we try to to be football savvy and football smart when it comes to these game previews. But it's gotten to the point now. Oklahoma's offense is just so good. And now when Oklahoma's not playing a TCU or an Iowa State or a Texas with a defense, you know, a defense that's a it's a pretty darn good defense, and they're playing a Kansas State, it's it's difficult for us to say anything other than Oklahoma's offense should be able to do whatever they want. Because it's, it comes down to one of those scenarios where this is more about Oklahoma's offense than it is about Kansas State's defense. And it's just difficult to find ways. If Oklahoma's able to have so much success against all these other defenses, then How the heck can Kansas State slow it down or prevent Oklahoma from scoring a lot of points? It just doesn't make any sense. So if if that ends up happening, it's impossible for us to to really see it coming is kind of the point I'm trying to make. And
0: so, well, I I guess let's do this then. You know, Oklahoma's offense is still filled with, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids for the most part and they're always it's always possible that they just show up and they lay an egg or they, they don't play well. That's really the only scenario I can envision where OU's offense does not I mean, score 45 points in this game. I, I mean, seriously. I mean, obviously,
1: you factor in potential injuries. You know, yeah, you can't yeah plan for. I mean,
0: stuff like that. If they don't play well, penalties, turnovers, all that stuff you can't factor for. But that's the thing, Lee. Incredibly good offenses like Oklahoma's, they don't usually have trouble with stuff like that. And even when they do with penalties and whatnot, they're still good enough to overcome it. They penalties really hurt them last week, and they still went up and down the field easily. So, yeah. um, and this this Kansas State defense just uh, this is just the honest assessment does not pose a whole lot of just threat at all. Um, they're just it's not a good defense. They're bad on defense, and they're they're physically overmatched, um, and at, at every level. I, I just if if they have a good performance there there's something else going on or they're just or Kansas State has, has woken up and and they're not who they are who they've been the first 7 games of the season this is this defense doesn't have a chance
1: yeah this is one of the worst Kansas State teams in in a while i think i mean this is just not a very good football team they don't granted they are they're playing their best football of the year right now so oklahoma's getting them at their best i would say which still doesn't doesn't equate to that great of a football team the the two players on defense that Lincoln Riley pointed out in his Monday press conference that if that he likes a lot and are incredibly good is one we've already talked about in corner Duke Shelley, number eight and then also number 51 Reggie Walker a defensive end he said Reggie Walker is one of the best defensive ends that he's seen in the big 12 so I guess keep an eye out for those two players Uh, outside of that I can't particularly name anybody else on their defense that has done anything on, on film that makes me particularly concerned about anything. And, um, again, yeah, it's, this is a game that's about Oklahoma more than it is about Kansas State. Oklahoma should be able to to kind of hold their own. All right, let's get to what do you want to see happen in this one, Grant. I'll uh, let you take this one away. What do you want to see happen on Saturday when Kansas State comes to Norman?
0: Well, first of all, Lee, I would like to see a continuation of, of the positive defensive vibes that we saw last week, um, especially especially with their run fits and, and being disciplined in the run game as well, because I thought they did a pretty decent job of that last week against TCU. And, and like we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, that's just going to be insanely important here against Kansas State, because uh, that's really the only way they can beat you uh, on the ground with Alex Barnes. Um, so, and also, you know, with Skylar Thompson being you know, kind of a savvy runner himself as well. So I'd like to see that. I'd like to see an emphasis put on uh, keeping contained with your gaps because I know Alex Barnes is going to to want to hit those cutback lanes and Skylar Thompson as well is going to want to keep it on those zone reads every now and then. Pass rushers, I would like to see keep contained as well, because I, I can absolutely envision them leaving the field, the middle of the field wide open, and Skylar Thompson just taking off. That's that's really the thing that worries me the most is them is is getting Kansas State in third and long, and then and then uh, Skylar Thompson being able to pick up a cheap first down with his legs. Um, that can that can really frustrate defenses and extend drives, and I hate that crap. So I, I would really like to see them, you know, do a good job there, Lee. I. This is a Kansas State team that really does not have a lot of downfield threats. I want to see an aggressive secondary. I'd like to see a lot of press coverage this week because I don't, I, I don't think they can get off of it. Um, and also, I, I, you know, this is going to be a theme that we say for the rest of the season. Really, uh, heat heat Skyler Thompson up. This is uh, on passing downs. This is that's not where Kansas State wants to be, and they they give up a lot of sacks. They're they're not great in sack rate. So here I have a I have a stat for you actually. Of course I do, like always. Lee, they're 107th – or I'm sorry, 115th in the country in sack rate. They give up a sack, Lee, 9.5% of dropbacks.
1: That's like a lot. That's surprising. That's a I, lot, I, yeah. When you watch them play, they, they want to get rid of the football quickly, it's, it would seem. They, wanna, they have that quick passing game because they don't want their guys to stand back there and, and survey the field because they know that Thompson and then Delton, when he was playing, are not, not great at that. Yeah. And That's they surprising.
0: do Yeah, and you know, they do have a stud left tackle. Dalton Reisner is probably the best left tackle in the Big 12. Um I I did noticely on on tape their interior linemen struggled. A struggle with pass rushing which which made me uh or pass blocking, which made me really think of that of kind of that uh that A-gap blitz by Curtis Bolton out of that dime package. Kansas State might have a lot of trouble with that.
1: All right. I uh i'll go with mine what i want to see i want to see oklahoma run the football well again you know because against texas it was great against tcu it was great but this time i want to see them run the ball really well again against a defense that is supposed to give up yards on the ground this is a kansas state defense that's not great at stopping the run Uh, the last two times oklahoma ran the ball very well against texas and tcu two pretty good defenses now let's do it again against a team that's supposed to allow those yards on the ground and just kind of break k-state's defensive will Uh, i want to see oklahoma get the defense i want to see oklahoma get kansas state's offense into third and medium third and long a decent amount of times kind of like you know we want to see that happen every game but especially against kansas state who doesn't really want to throw the ball a lot you know get the wildcats behind schedule because that's going to make them uncomfortable and just get ahead get ahead of kansas state force kansas state to panic and then want to throw the football or feel like they have to throw the football to get back in the football game and then just continue to also play you know play solid defense and continue to play defense and don't let their one-dimensional rushing attack get them back into the game if you do get ahead and just basically crush the wildcats spirit because that didn't happen last year when oklahoma played kansas state kansas state had a had a uh, a two possession a two score lead going into the locker room and kansas state was feeling like they were going to go and upset a, one of the top teams in the country. crush their spirit early because this Wildcats team, they know they're not very good. Granted, they are at a bit of a high right now, beating Oklahoma State, which Oklahoma State's not having the best year, but still that's a good win. And Kansas State's had some success against Oklahoma State. Heck, they beat them last year in Stillwater as well. So that, that might be a weird thing where Kansas State plays Oklahoma State well. But don't give them any opportunities or thoughts that they're going to go into Norman and win. Oklahoma's favored by 25 points for a reason. Beat them down. All right, so that's what I want to see happen. We'll get to what will happen right now. Oklahoma's favored by 25 points now. I believe it opened at 24. And ever since uh, the Texas game, I've been pretty bad at, on this podcast at least, predicting whether or Oklahoma Oklahoma's going to cover the spread. I was dead wrong about the Texas game. And then last week I kind of punted and let somebody from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram pick for me. Granted, I will say, though, later in the week in a contest I do, I did take Oklahoma to cover, and they did. so. But I, on the podcast I was wrong, so that's what we're going by. 25 points is a lot, Grant. 25 points is quite a bit. I think Oklahoma will be able to run the football like I, I want to see them do. It's, just, it's difficult for me when knowing Oklahoma has max motivation because Oklahoma knows the Sooners need to win out to have a chance. They just saw Ohio State go down, which should give Oklahoma even more excitement and feelings of like, okay, even though we don't technically control our own destiny right now, we're about as close as we can be to controlling our own destiny because Oklahoma wins out and then gets another chance potentially maybe to, to beat Texas or anybody in the Big 12 title game. You have that extra game where you can get the win, and and Oklahoma can feel pretty good about themselves. And, and now you have to throw in the fact, too, that the defense played a little bit better against TCU, and they have a new coordinator in there, and there's, there's hopes of like, oh, maybe the defense actually is going, is going to give us a chance to win and, and not absolutely kill us like it has in, in big games the last two and a half, three years. So there's a lot of positives for Oklahoma. So I'm going to go with what will happen. I think Oklahoma does cover this number. I think Oklahoma, and this is more of me betting – On Ruffin McNeil being in charge of the defense now, and more betting against, uh, you know, if if I'll say it, if if Mike Stoops was still here, there's zero chance with this Kansas State team coming in, knowing what they did last year against Oklahoma's defense, there's zero chance I would lay that kind of number because I would feel like Kansas State would be able to score and control the football. But now with Mike Stoops gone, I think Oklahoma's offense or defense might be a little more prepared than they were last year and will be able to slow down that one-dimensional Kansas State offense I'll say Oklahoma wins this game 55-17 Grant that certainly is a blowout um
0: Lee three years ago after they had lost to Texas and and the Red River shootout they had a bye week and then they went to Manhattan to play Kansas State Uh, that was the that was the first year they went to the playoff Lee OU won that game 59 to nothing Lee, this Kansas State team is is very similar to that Kansas State team. They're 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 very analogous teams. I just I'm I think Oklahoma should win this game, and I think they should be able to name their score in this game. I can't shake the feeling that I think Kansas State is going to have um, considerable success running the ball. I can't put my finger on it. Watching some of that Baylor game and some of the the runs they were able to break off sort of concerned me. Alex Barnes is a good player. It doesn't seem like the first guy ever brings him down. This Kansas State team is really going to test OU's physicality. Now, I don't think Kansas State has the firepower to win this game, not in the least bit at all, without a lot of help from Oklahoma in that respect. But I I, I think OU's going to give up some points in this game, and I think we're going to be kind of disappointed. Now, I'm hoping I'm wrong, obviously, um, but I'm, I'm going to go with 49-28. to 28. I think they'll win this game. They're going to get close to covering. Um, I, I think they're going to score a vast majority of the time they have the ball They're Kansas state's not going to pose much of a threat on the defensive side whatsoever. But I, I, I see some, some warts popping up for OU's run defense in this game. I, I just, I, I really think Kansas state's going to be able to scheme to get numbers advantages. And they're probably going to, they're probably going to be able to break off a few long ones. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a pretty good prediction. And, and I'm going to amend mine actually a little bit. I, I think I shortchanged Kansas state. I'm going to give him another touchdown. So I'm going to say 55, 24, their offense again. I've I've said it multiple times this podcast. This is the best Kansas State's offense has been playing all season long, and even though I, I am encouraged by the the improvement in Oklahoma's defense, it's still an Oklahoma defense that struggled for the the most part this year. So, and holding and Lee, Kansas State to only two touchdowns. Actually, yeah, that seems kind of ridiculous. I, I'm going to give Kansas State three touchdowns.
0: And I think Lee, if if OU comes out and just and 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 takes Kansas State to the woodshed, and you know really just kind of shuts down their offense, I'm going to get so annoying with how like, with how big my head is because I'm going to start getting really excited about this OU team because I think <laughs> – um, because this offense is just as good as last year. I, I mean, it's – I cannot believe that that is the case, but it is. Every single metric proves it and confirms it. This offense is so good. It's so good. Um, and if they could just pair any sort of – comedy, and I know we've been saying it for two years now – but if they can pair any sort of competent defense, um, this is a juggernaut just waiting to happen, Lee. And a, a competent defense, Lee, shuts down this Kansas State offense.
1: I agree. Let's move on to the rest of the show. So that's our OU Kansas State preview. Hopefully that was uh, interesting enough for everybody. I thought, I thought we had some good stuff. Let's go down to the Big 12 games this week so here's here's just a little rundown for the rest of the way we're going to do big 12 games of the week coming up it's probably be pretty quick we're going to cross them off the part where we cross off teams from uh, winning the national championship and then we're going to talk about if Alabama is good for college football and then after that we'll get to the picks so if, if you want to hear us talk more about college football in general we invite you to continue listening if not if you're good we understand you have a, a busy day ahead of you and podcasts are. uh you know, that's the best part about podcasts. You can turn them off whenever you want. So that's what's going to go on for the rest of the show. We'll start with the Big 12 games. Thursday night, pretty intriguing matchup. Baylor at West Virginia. West Virginia, a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. We're going to save this game for our pick section against the spread. The other Big 12 games, uh, this one's interesting too. Texas Tech at Iowa State at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Iowa State, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, the Cyclones... The, Cyclone's defense will definitely get a test against Texas Tech. And with Brock Purdy in there, Texas Tech's defense has not been very good. In a weird way, I mean, could this be a high-scoring game? I think it could be. I mean, if Texas Tech's offense can kind of figure out Iowa State's defense, I mean, heck, Oklahoma State's offense can still figure out Iowa State's defense. So some teams can figure it out. But uh, that's an intriguing matchup. That oh yeah, I'll I'm, certainly try to watch.
0: I'm all in on this game. That's that's absolutely my 11 a.m. game that I'm watching. I, I I really Iowa State's just a lot of fun to watch. I I love watching them play.
1: Yeah, I agree. They're um, fun team to watch.
0: And yeah, and you know, Alan Bowman is back for Texas Tech as well. And so their offense took off when he was there, uh, or when he was healthy, and he's back now. After a, I think he had a collapsed lung, which is crazy. Yeah, he
1: had something bizarre. Yeah. Uh, two o'clock. T. Oh, you have more. Uh,
0: no, just – I I mean, I I like Iowa State in this game, but I this game could get weird for sure. I think it's going to be a really entertaining game.
1: Yeah, it's going to be difficult for me to not like Iowa State in any games moving forward. I just think – I mean, is there any question that they're probably the best 3-3 three and three team in the country? I, I just – they're – that loss to Iowa – I mean, Iowa, I guess, is in the top 20 right now, and Iowa's clearly a pretty good team this year. But, man, if, if that game was later – like, if Iowa State played Iowa Saturday, I, I just – I don't. I don't see Iowa winning that game. I just don't. I'd probably Especially be with Iowa State's game. quarterback. Being I was. A little, a little Iowa's defense
0: is legitimately great. Like top ten in the country. Good.
1: Yeah, it's 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 having a great a great year, and that's why I'm just confused why they were able to give up points and yards to Wisconsin, who's down this year. That's and pretty sure that game was at Iowa too, so that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, all right, two o'clock. TCU's at Kansas all right whatever uh seven o'clock I'm taking Kansas to cover in that game aren't you I feel like that's almost like a that's that's a cinch Kansas is getting 14 points Kansas is plus 14 in Lawrence
0: actually I don't know if it's ever a cinch to take Kansas to cover yeah uh but Uh, I mean TCU kind of feels like they're falling apart right
1: yeah but now they have Michael Collins playing quarterback he's clearly a little bit better than I mean I'm guessing Collins is going to play instead of Robinson moving forward right I mean he looked
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Robinson's out for the year. Did you not see that? Oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah, he's okay, getting so he's getting surgery on his shoulder. So um he's
1: well, got more upside than Robinson at this point. I think. Well, so. I mean,
0: you you remove Cavante Turpin from that offense. Or, I mean, from that team and oh, generally, yeah, that's a good point. TCU doesn't yeah. score last week without Cavante Turpin. Like, I mean, I don't yeah that's a good point I mean that's it's still, it's it argue Kansas, you though. you can argue that they wouldn't have scored yeah I'm I I'm still not envisioning Kansas being able to really pose much of a threat on the offensive side of the ball um but yeah I mean I I would be thinking long and hard about Kansas in the cover there
1: and the last game in the big 12 slate we're not going to have this in picks but I mean this is Texas at Oklahoma State seven o'clock the Longhorns, grand only favored. I think I I think they're up to three and a half point favorites now. On on here, I have them as three point favorites. So a little bit of money coming in on Texas minus three. It's gone to minus three and a half. But uh, I tweeted out earlier this week. Uh, you know, think about the top ten. You know, Texas is ranked number six in the nation. They of the top eight teams. What's what's OU right now? Eight, I think. Yes. Of 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 the top eight teams in the country, I think Texas is the only one of them that would be favored by less than a touchdown against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. I think even even LSU who struggles struggles on offense at times, I think would still be getting a touchdown at Boone Pickens Stadium. That just tells me that Vegas does not believe in this Texas team and I don't blame them.
0: I mean also, I mean that's this has been sort of the MO of Tom Herman teams. They get up for the big games and they really struggle against the crappy teams. And not, not to say Oklahoma, we I guess we don't know if Oklahoma State is is crappy yet, um, but that that team that I saw against Kansas State uh, that I was watching today, that's not a good football team, um, and that's if if I mean, Texas should absolutely win this game by double digits, and if they don't, then I won't be surprised. But Oklahoma State, they they sort of have the feeling, much like TCU, of a of a team that's kind of falling apart.
1: Yeah, I, and at the same time though, I. I'd love to to take Oklahoma State in the three and a half points in this game. I just don't, I don't know. I Oklahoma State has not been good at home this year, and Taylor Cornelius is is just not. He doesn't it get me excited, and and Texas has a good defense, and when he plays against teams with good defenses, he just he's he's very limited. And I mean, Oklahoma State's going to try to get the ball to Justice Hill, and I don't. I mean, I don't know, and so if push comes to shove i'd probably even even though texas seems to be better whenever they're underdogs i'd still probably lean towards texas laying the points here because really i mean gotta beat oklahoma state by a touchdown i i don't like really either one of these teams uh right now so it's just i probably won't even even play this game and i'll just kind of watch it and see what happens oh yeah i'm
0: not i'm not touching this game at all at all it's too wonky I have have no idea because I mean I I really think Texas should win by double digits but I don't it wouldn't surprise anyone obviously if Oklahoma State came out and beat them so
1: no um, not at all no not at all especially last year Oklahoma State I mean it was really low scoring but Oklahoma State went to Austin and beat beat Texas last year which was a, a very ugly game one of the most one of the ugliest games I've ever seen All right, Grant, let's cross them off, and this is the part of the show when we eliminate potential teams from winning the national championship, even though technically they may still have a chance to win it all. Basically, we're saying that these teams just don't pass the eye test. So far this season, I've crossed off six teams. Grant has crossed off seven teams. By now, a decent amount of the teams are obvious cross-offs because they've lost twice, but that doesn't mean we didn't cross them off way before those two losses, for example, Following week one, Grant crossed off Washington. Sure, the Huskies lost to Auburn and still technically had a chance to run the table and make the playoff, but Grant just didn't see that happening, and Washington has since lost another game. One other interesting cross-off following week one was Notre Dame. Both Grant and I crossed off the Irish. Even though they opened the season with a win over Michigan, our reasoning for the cross-off was simple. Brandon Wimbush is bad. And you're not going to win a title with him playing quarterback. Well, once Ian Book was inserted into the starting lineup a few weeks later against Wake Forest, both Grant and I did the unthinkable. We uncrossed off Notre Dame. To this day, the Irish are the only team we have taken off the cross-off list. So now that you've gotten a little background on this segment, in case you haven't been listening to the podcast throughout the season, we've reached week 9. And I've got one team on my cross-off list that still has a legitimate shot to reach the playoff and win the national championship. Actually, maybe two teams on my list. I guess we'll get to it. Grant definitely has two teams on his cross-off list that still have a chance to legitimately make the playoff. Grant, so we'll start with you. First off, tell me the two teams on your cross them off list that still technically has a chance to make the playoff and win a title and then let me know if you'd like to uncross off any of them
0: well I mean that would have to be LSU and Texas right and right. and cer- no I will certainly not be crossing either of them off they are they have no chance you will not be
1: uncrossing them off okay to, yeah
0: to say they have no chance I guess it's kind of hacky because they they theoretically do have a chance. I'm just saying they don't have much of one. They're 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 two teams that are very limited, um, not efficient on offense by any stretch of the imagination. Two good athletic defense. LSU's defense is great. Texas's defense is very good, Um, but they're they're just they're so limited at at quarterback and on offense that I. In fact, I would I I would take Texas Texas's offense over LSU's actually. Um, So they're just. Oh, I wouldn't. There, th- those are those are two teams that are just very inconsistent uh, and average to bad on offense.
1: And so the other teams on Grant's cross off list, we mentioned Washington earlier. Uh, Grant crossed off Auburn pretty early. Did you cross off Auburn after week one?
0: Yes, even I though they um, won?
1: Actually, I'm not sure. When did I cross you, them you, off? You crossed off Auburn after week one or two. I mean, you crossed them off pretty early. I think before they even won, uh, even even lost a game. I think I know. So you
0: were? I, I crossed them off after they lost to LSU. Because I okay. my, my, my reasoning was that their schedule is just too brutal and there's no way they they went out from it. So.
1: Yeah, because I, I ended up crossing off Auburn later just because I, I kept them on just because, even though after their, their first loss, just because they technically could have ran the table. But yeah, I'm with you, though. Their schedule was too brutal. Uh, also, Penn State's on both of our lists. Uh, Wisconsin, obviously, on both of our lists. Uh, you convinced me to cross off West Virginia last week, which I, I followed you. Uh, so... We have kind of the same teams. The, the I'll go to me now. Uh, I say there's there's two teams, maybe two teams on my list that still have a chance. The one obvious one is Michigan. I crossed off Michigan after week one, and technically West Virginia still has a chance because West Virginia could run the table, and that means they would have beaten Oklahoma, and then you know whoever Oklahoma in and the Texas Big title presumably
0: game. twice. One of those teams presumably yeah. twice.
1: So West Virginia still technically does. Uh, I just. The way that their offense looked against Iowa State, I mean, Iowa State's defense is very good. We talk about that all the time, but Oklahoma was able to figure out Iowa State's defense, I mean, this year and last year, and move the ball and score points. Will Greer in that offense could not. And uh, granted, they got to play Iowa State with Purdy at quarterback, who's a little bit more dynamic than Kempt and uh, Zeb Noland. But still, I'm just uh, the eye test at. That that did me in for West Virginia. Eh, I don't think
0: uh, I don't think Purdy had anything to do with West Virginia only having 150 yards total in that game.
1: Oh goodness. So yeah, Michigan has been the, the the talk of the town recently after their win over Wisconsin, and then of course after their win over Michigan State. So you think, hey, you know, maybe I should uncross them off? Well, I'm not going to. I think Michigan is fool's gold. I think they have taken over the the spot that of of my uh, my disdain, like last year when I kept railing against Penn State. But here's the thing. Michigan's kind of the same this year where they're getting a lot of publicity in the media. But that Penn State team, I think last year was better than this Michigan team. Penn state was was above average on offense and very good on defense. And this Michigan team is very good to lead on defense, but merely average on offense in my opinion, because they're very one dimensional. They want to run the ball a lot, and they face a team that stops the run and can actually somewhat move the ball on offense because Michigan State can stop the run, but Michigan State's offense is putrid, and that that's why Michigan was able to, to finally get a big play and pull away. But, man, I mean, I, Penn State, whenever Michigan plays Penn State, that'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see what happens because Penn State blew the doors off Michigan last year, so Penn State was able to figure out that Michigan defense a season ago. Granted, this one I believe – this year they're gonna play in Ann Arbor, I I believe, so that'll give Michigan a little bit of uh, an advantage. But uh I'm not willing to uncross off Michigan now. However, now to uh I don't know if you want to con- I mean, I, I know you do, you think I'm wrong. I th- I know you think Michigan's pretty good. Um uh, that's fine. You I'm more I'm
0: more upset. How on un- did you seriously just classify Penn State's offense from last year as merely above average? Yeah. All right. Yeah, Whatever. Penn State's
1: defense was better than their offense last year. I mean, sure, then make that argument. But, I mean, Penn State was – Which was – <laughs> the, the, the argument was that Penn State's offense was so awesome and nobody ever talked about the defense. The defense was the reason why Penn State was able to win a lot of those games.
0: Yeah, Penn State had every bit of a top ten offense in the country last year. That's, it's, just, it's just silly that you call them above average on offense. Penn State was really good last year. They lost two games by a total of like four points and they pretty much killed everyone else. Penn State was really good last year.
1: Yeah, I mean they're they're a good team, but they were uh, they're a bit they're a bit fraudulent, just like how Michigan's a bit fraudulent this year. Uh, all right, cross them off. Any any teams you're going to cross off now that uh, week eight of college football? I, what are we week eight or week nine? I can't even remember anymore. The season's flying by. Uh, any new teams you want to cross off, Grant? There are
0: not yet, but there's some on the cusp. Lee and I, I don't want to give anything away, but there's probably some some teams up there that might surprise you a little bit. I'm sort of I'm sort of workshopping some stuff here because if we're really talking about who has a chance to win a national championship, I feel like that that list gets gets very, very short. So um you know, it's it'll be interesting going forward for sure. I don't have anyone this week, but as November rolls around, there's gonna be a lot of, you know, a lot of consequential games in November. So we'll see going on, but I, I don't know, I think I think my list so far is pretty good. I'm just I'm just happy that I have LSU
1: and Texas on there
0: because it's right. <laughs>
1: All right, so if you listen to this podcast on the regular on a regular basis and you make it to our cross them off segment, you know that um, I really wanted to cross off Ohio State after the the game against Minnesota. And uh, Ohio State then one week later loses in blowout fashion to Purdue. So you know what I'm going to do? Even though Ohio State still technically has a chance, Ohio State, I'm crossing you off. You are not as good as you have been recently on defense and even though the offense is very good boy throwing it 70 something times and and not being able to capitalize and score that many points against the purdue team that's just it's purdue i mean they're not that particularly great that's a huge red flag to me so ohio state you're getting crossed off man i'm gonna cross one more off i'm gonna cross one more off too and uh this is this is actually not that big of a deal because I wouldn't be surprised if you follow my lead after I cross this team off. But this is a team that's now in the top 10, and they're going to be a, a a definite cross-off after this Saturday, but I'll just go ahead and cross them off ahead of time right now. Florida, I'm going to cross you off. You don't have a chance.
0: Yeah, that was one of the ones I was thinking about, but I, I was kind of sticking to our mantra of we're only going to you know consider teams that are that are considered like national title contenders. Yeah. And I don't think Florida has ever reached that. Um, now if they do if they beat Georgia this weekend I think they'll be vaulted right into that discussion to which you know and then I will almost certainly cross them off but I, I don't know if Florida has ever really been um yeah a, you're a right. huge threat. Flo- Florida's not winning the national title they're just not at all they're they're very yeah, I just I yeah, they're, they're yeah, much I, I just limited. happened
1: to bring up the uh bring up the top 25 and just kind of was reminded that Florida was in the top 10 and I don't remember them being that this high so I thought yeah you know what I I've seen Florida actually play a couple times now, and they just—they're not particularly impressive to me. It's—it's it's kind of annoying that they beat LSU, but I think a lot of that was the fact that the game was was played played in the swamp. That that the home field advantage there was pretty big time.
0: And also, Florida is solid on defense, and any solid defense yeah. is going to give LSU problems because their offense sucks.
1: Well, Georgia's solid to above average on defense, and LSU's offense did pretty well against Georgia's Georgia's uh, defense last Saturday. So I, LSU is a is a weird team, man. But I'm I'm definitely on the more like positive side of LSU than than you seem to be. Uh, but but you have admitted on this show before that you have a weird like bias against LSU.
0: I do. I, I just I, I hate the way that their program plays football. They they've they've never put a competent offense on the field, and yet they
1: still have two national titles in the last fifteen years. Pisses me <laughs> off. All right. Before we get to our picks we'll get to the segment that I've teased a couple times so far. And the question is, is Alabama, the dominance of Alabama, is that good for college football or is that bad for college football? And the reason I, I wanted to bring this up on this particular podcast is I've heard Joe Klatt talk about this and get asked this question a couple times recently, and he thinks it's good and he loves it. He loves it for college football. And then recently I was listening to a, another sports radio show and Charles Davis, who does NFL games now, but Charles Davis used to do college games. Heck, he did the OU Florida national title game with Tom Brenneman back in 2008 uh, season, 2009 title game. And Charles Davis was asked that same question, and Charles Davis was on the same side as Joel Klatt, saying that he, he thinks it's great for college football, and it's very positive. And Grant, you and I, we text about this every once in a while, and you and I are – actually i mean we're on the same page on this one you and i completely disagree with that we both think it's really bad for college football and we can't quite understand why people who are college football experts and joe clatt that's i mean that's his job he's a college football expert i'd say charles davis even though he does nfl predominantly now i'd say charles davis is a college football expert too while also being an nfl expert it's just it may, you and i are we don't understand these people who follow the game as much as them? How they can make the argument that it's actually good for college football? So uh, this is something that, that I know you are pretty passionate about, and I kind of am too. And we do have one comment from Facebook that I'll get to a little bit. That's that's addressing this as well. But uh, before we get to that, I'll I'll let you, I'll open the floor up to you, Grant. You're I know you don't. Th- I know I know you say it's bad for college football. Why? Well, Lee, let me.
0: Let me kind of back up a little bit because i don't I don't know if I feel as strongly as I used to just because i've i've I've, I've tried to think about it in a more uh, you know a, a less hacky way if you will why why do we think it's bad for college football? It's because i it's hard for me not to think it's because I mean we're biased, aren't we? We have a nationally relevant program that's trying to win national titles, and Alabama being there makes it so that um, the the chances of winning a title aren't as high so I think. When you're answering this question, it depends on who is uh, who you're asking. Is it is it the casual college football fan, or is it the fan of um, teams like Auburn or team um, teams like USC or Clemson or not USC but Clemson for sure? Um, the teams that are you know consistently competing for a national championship, of course, they're going to think Alabama's bad for college football. But what about what about the the fans? What about the Arkansas State fans who have no skin in the game? But just like college football, is it good for college football to have a villain that everyone can kind of root against? Because that's certainly what Alabama is right now. Um, I don't know. I I think this is one of those questions that's better that, that's probably better left uh, answered in retrospect. But I, right now, there's certainly me personally. The reason why I think it's bad for college football is because it's boring. They're they're just very boring. Um, and I know that's that's an argument that's that's tossed around a lot, um, and and you know it gets into it too. I think um, they're the way that they've recruited and and sort of like the program that they built and the and the um, this system that they've built along with it. A lot of teams have really tried to replicate that, and some I, th- I think have done a pretty good job, uh, like the Georgias, the Ohio States of the world. Um, I, I would really like to see some numbers, especially you know pre-Saban Alabama and post-Saban Alabama about just the concentration of talent Um, because I really feel like ever since Alabama has has you know has come on in the last decade or so it does it does seem like uh, like three or four teams get all the best players now and I I I wonder if that has something to do with Alabama but I mean that that's that's more I I didn't really have a list I was going on Lee what do you think about that
1: well I think that's that's interesting that you bring up the nuance of what side do you want? Are you, uh, yeah, are you like you and I and everyone who listens to this podcast, we like Oklahoma, we want to see Oklahoma win titles or are you somebody, like you mentioned Arkansas State, or you can throw, I mean, could you throw even like a a bottom feeding, you know, power five conference team? Like what if you're a Colorado fan? You know, what if you're a Nebraska fan? Yeah, that's what I was getting at. So like, the reason I bring that up too is I, I think it's bad for college football and I suppose it's, it's bad obviously because they're so good and everybody else is not not really close to how good they are because of how they recruit and they get all the best players so it's almost impossible for them to 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 not be good. But I I suppose uh th- this this is this always comes back to me to my playoff stance. And the reason why it's bad for college football is because there's so few teams who make who who have a chance to win the national championship because the playoff is so small and it used to just be two teams. So before it was like literally like oh Alabama's so good. So basically you have you have a chance to be the one other team to make the the BCS national championship game because Alabama is basically going to be penciled in because they're so good. Which is it's horrible. You said it's boring. Now okay sure there's they've added two additional teams so there's a playoff where it's basically just a plus one, but still. Alabama being basically plugged in, and the way they ha- their schedule is, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, they'll play like you know one tough game. It seems like at the start of the season, which didn't even happen this year, and they just kind of hope that people think the SEC is always the best, so therefore that tough SEC schedule is is good enough, and and they'll have their their late November bye week against an FCS team, and they'll just they'll, they'll get everything perfect, and none of these teams in the SEC. Obviously, it's it's difficult for them to recruit. And, yeah, every once in a while they will get beat by, you know, the Aub- Auburn got them, you know, once or twice. And, uh, you know, LSU got them one year and things like that. But the reason why, I guess, it's it's bad is because there's not more people have a chance to win at all, I guess. And, yeah, if you're a team that doesn't have a chance to win at all, then maybe you don't care as much about it. And, yeah, you just like to root against Alabama. But if they would not extend you know extend the playoff and make it more teams like how i'd like to see it like with how the fcs does it and division two does it and more teams make it and alabama has more hurdles to jump through to to make to win a national title then it wouldn't be a problem anymore because when there's when there's more games and there's less time to prepare you have more of a chance of getting upset and it wouldn't be a big deal anymore about alabama always being there in the end because they would have to go through more hoops and so would everybody else but it, it, it wouldn't be a, a done deal every single year that, oh, Alabama's going to be in that final four. Oh, yep, Alabama's going to be in that title game. And that's why it's bad for college football, because they're so much better than everybody else. And for for teams that want to and, and could potentially win a national title, that one spot's already taken away by Alabama every single year, full stop. And then there's three additional spots. And then now the way it's set up, that there's always going to be one conference left out anyways. So it's... You know, you're right. I mean, I'm glad you brought up the point. You know, maybe we are homers. That's why we don't like it. But I guess more for me, too. And as I talk about this, I realize my argument probably isn't as sound as it should be on this. So I could see people poking holes in it, and that's fine. I guess a lot of it, too, is going against the argument for those who like it. The argument for those who like it seemed to be people like dynasties, right? Just enjoy the greatness, but I guess with with Alabama, it's that it's it's easy to be great whenever all the best players want to come play for you. It's almost like you should be great every single year, and really it's been kind of bizarre that they haven't had a good quarterback up until now, and they've still been able to win. Oh, A.J. McCarron was an outstanding college quarterback. I don't know if he was an outstanding college. He was a, he was a nice college quarterback. I mean, uh, Tua, Tag- T- Tua Tagla- Viola was an outstanding college quarterback. A.J. McCarron was a nice college I mean, quarterback he, was a, he I
0: mean, was a heisman finalist is that not McHair outstanding was? yeah
1: <laughs> really
0: yeah his senior year when the Sooners beat him in the Sugar Bowl he was a Heisman finalist was he not
1: I don't know I, I mean that's back when I wasn't really paying that close attention to college football so yeah he had like he, so, had, he had one of the more efficient like passing seasons ever that year like he, he was a really
0: really good college player oh but well, I mean well, but you're I mean you're not wrong. he's the he's he's the only one the, he's the only other one and in, in the in the uh I almost said Mike Stoops, <laughs> Nick Saban tree. Yeah. So you know, I, I, Lee, I, I think a lot of it is. and I am just going to go back to it. They're just boring. They're they're not they're not even much of an exciting team, um, or at least they haven't been really until two have showed up. Even when USC was going through that run under Pete Carroll, I mean that was a fun team to watch. Um, and Alabama is just like they're, they're just the boring excellence of them. And and I've I've kind of come around. I understand the argument that Joel Klatt and, and Charles Johnson are trying to make. Charles Davis. Charles Davis, <laughs> thank you. But <Wait>, Charles Johnson.
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> I think he used to be a catcher for the White Sox and the Marlins back in the day. Yep. Charles yeah. Johnson.
0: Um, yeah. I I get it. The I, I understand the excellence argument. And also I, I do think that college football landscape needs a villain that we can all rally around. Um, I think just all of us really hardcore college football fans, I think we're all we are just getting tired of it being Alabama. That's all. And just the uh, You know, Nick Saban is also kind of a jerk, so that's that's not fun. And I I think people are just are just kind of tired of seeing them on their TV every day, or you know, over the course of the season. It seems like before the year starts, Lee, it's always just people waiting to see if Alabama is going is going to trip up, and and you know, even if they do trip up, that's not going to keep them out of anything. So it's just, um, I don't know. If I was an Alabama family,
1: I would just say, get better, beat us. Um, Yeah, I mean, so would I. So would I. And it's kind of annoying that these SEC schools that get to play them all the time. Yeah, again, every once in a while a team will get them Like, I mean, Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss kind of had their number for a couple years. It seemed like, but it's like it's kind of annoying that these other SEC teams can't. I don't know, band together and find a way to to not make it so obvious. But then again, I guess if you look at it that way, I mean, people are probably super tired of Oklahoma and the Big Twelve. I mean you and I don't give a crap about big 12 titles because Oklahoma wins them all the time. We care about national titles and those don't come very much. So I guess it, it could be the same argument against it. Uh, the same argument that maybe I just used could be used against Oklahoma too. So yeah. at, at the conference level,
0: it'd be one of those things I'd like to see data on. I, I would, I'd like to see TV ratings like historically over the course. Um, Cause I, I think Alabama is still, is still, you know, a ratings generator. People tune in when Alabama plays. So um, it's I. It's it's tough for sure. I mean, we're we're very biased. We love Oklahoma football, and and when when the best when the best program in the country is not Oklahoma, it's it's annoying to me, to be honest with you. And Alabama's been the best program in the country for a decade now, and, and it's annoying. They they've been like I've said, they've been the best team in the country every single year for about eleven straight seasons. And that gets old after a while. Um, but yeah, yeah. like like I said, I mean, beat them. I I I think eventually you know the Alabama shine will you know it is going to wear off eventually but someone's going to have to beat them and they're going to have to start beating them consistently um and really what what it's going to take is is Nick Saban's going to have to leave Tuscaloosa I I think is because right now I mean if you're a if you're a five-star you know high school kid or a highly ranked high school kid I mean why wouldn't you seriously consider Alabama you go there you're absolutely going to win a national title and you're going to get drafted so um I mean, that's that, that's that's a hell of a pitch right there. And so and also Lee, just one more thought before we move on from this. But, you know, we we like to complain about Alabama now. But over the course of college football history, you know, there's always the Alabama. You know, in the 90s, it was Florida State. Before that, it was Miami. Uh, before that, it was Nebraska and Oklahoma, et cetera, et cetera. If Alabama wasn't there, presumably someone would be there to take their place, you um, but I, I think there is something to be said that we haven't quite seen this level of dominance, really, probably in the history of, of, of college football at all. I mean, this is this is the most impressive dynasty I think we've ever seen in college sports. You know, those those John Wood and UCLA basketball teams notwithstanding.
1: Let's get to one comment from a West of Everest listener. Benjamin posted on Facebook about this. He says he's on the other side. He's on the Joel Klatt and Charles Davis side. Benjamin says, As far as Bama's dominance goes, I think it's good for college football in the big scheme of things. The Crimson Tide is the villain of the sport, the evil empire. Everyone wants to dethrone them. Every team wants to be them. I think their success makes college football that much more fun because when it comes down to it, everyone wants to see Saban scowl with rage as his team loses. And he says in parentheses, "Replay Sugar Bowl 2014 highlights."
0: That's a great. I think that's a great point because without the Alabama dominance, does that Sugar Bowl feel feel good? Does it feel as good? Is it is it as fun to go back and rewatch that game? I mean, OU, no. OU, OU put a whooping on Alabama in that game, and it was fun. It would, That's the most fun I've had watching an OU football game in my life. Um, and that doesn't happen without the Alabama dominance. So I think that's a great point.
1: Benjamin also says that he thinks the Sooners stand a pretty good chance against the Wildcats on Saturday as long as they keep the offense rolling and get the necessary stops on D, which he does point out. Yes, he knows that's an obvious thing to say, (laughs) but uh, he just uh, he's hoping the defense continues to build off last game, which Benjamin, we're right there with you 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 and me both, man. uh, Last thing I'll say on this is that I realize as I've been talking during this segment that my argument for why I don't like it is not is not very strong and I need to do a better job of putting together my argument because I think uh, I didn't do a very good job of explaining it here. It's an emotional argument. It is. So uh, it is. It is, and uh, I am also will acknowledge that I might be able to be uh, persuaded that maybe I'm wrong about this one, and I just wanted to put that out there for everyone here to realize that's what I'm thinking right now. All right, let's do the picks against the spread. Let's try to do this quickly, Grant. Uh, Thursday... Six o'clock. Baylor at West Virginia. West Virginia favored by thirteen and a half points. Grant, I like West Virginia.
0: I also do. I think they're going to rebound. They get uh, they're going to rebound from the tough performance. Baylor's defense is atrocious. Um, I, I, I think Baylor's probably going to have some success on offense, but I think West Virginia is going to going to score a lot. Probably they're they're going to come out fired up. I think they had ten days off, so um, they're going to score a lot.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it stems from you. know, being shut down so badly by Iowa State, having all that time off, and going against a Baylor team who does not play a whole lot of defense. Granted, Baylor's offense is is okay, but I think West Virginia's defense has actually improved this year. So I think Baylor's got an offense that a a decently competent defense can slow down enough to win by two touchdowns. And I think West Virginia's offense is pretty good, and they're going to want to bounce back in a big-time way from the Iowa State game. Iowa, Penn State, in Happy Valley, Penn State favored by six and a half points. I went back and watched Penn State's most recent game against Indiana. I've seen a little bit of Iowa. I was trying to get a feel for this game. I don't have a great feel for it, but it's a forced pick. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna lean Iowa, Grant, plus six and a half. What about you? I'll
0: lean Penn State just because Iowa is is very limited on offense, even though I I, I really do think Iowa's defense is is outstanding um but they uh, Nate Stanley is so limited um and unless Penn State really turns the ball over I I don't I don't know how Iowa is going to score enough and I think Penn State's going to be able to score at least three or four touchdowns um I, I lean Penn State although it wouldn't surprise me at all if if Iowa plays well
1: all right so we're on opposite sides of that one next game the largest or the the wor- is, okay let me get this right is the world's largest Outdale cockpit Oh my gosh! I'm butchering this. Do you want to give it a shot? The world's largest outdoor cocktail party. <laughs> that's it. that's it. I uh, I messed that up badly. Georgia, Florida, in Jacksonville, the Bulldogs favored by six and a half points. This is at two thirty on Saturday. Grant, I like Georgia in this game.
0: I also like Georgia.
1: I think I think this is going to be one of those games that's close for like a while, maybe for
0: a half or three quarters. Uh, but then Georgia kind of pulls away in the in the fourth quarter, wins by wins by two scores. Not a blowout by any by any you know means, but uh, I think Georgia's gonna win by like ten.
1: There's a lot of reasons why I like Georgia, but one under undervalued uh, reason why is that this game being neutral site, I think Florida at home is a lot better than Florida away from home, and we all know that Georgia travels really well and i could see even though this game's going to be in the state of florida i can totally see georgia having an advantage with the home like with with fans i can see more georgia fans being there nah it's going to be
0: f- it's going to be 50-50 it's like it's like ou texas i think it's split down the
1: middle Oh, okay well still yeah yeah but still <laughs> uh all right next game another SEC matchup a&m texas a&m on the road at mississippi state a and the 16th ranked team in the country but the bulldogs are get, are uh, laying minus two and a half so mississippi state favored by two and a half coming off their loss at lsu i uh i I you know you're getting mississippi state probably a little value here because mississippi state's gonna be mad that they just lost to lsu and didn't do anything on offense but i i don't i don't like this mississippi state team i know their defense is is very good but uh the, the one-dimensional offense by the bulldogs i just can't get behind and I know they're at home. They're gonna play better at home, but I'm I'm gonna go with uh, Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies plus two and a half. I'm gonna lean that way. Grant, what about you?
0: I I lean Mississippi State because of the value pick. I I think I'm getting a ton of value with Mississippi State here, and their their defensively is is very very good. LSU only averaged like three and a half yards per play last week against Mississippi State, which is atrocious. By the way, that's and that's that LSU offense that you think is good. So, um, anywho,
1: it's capable. Yeah.
0: Um and, and Texas A and M on the road too. I like I, I like good defensive teams at home. Um, so I'll take Mississippi State and I think a lot of people are probably going to be surprised when Mississippi
1: State wins this game. Well, I mean maybe not considering that Mississippi State is favored. Well, in this one.
0: Well, yeah, I'm just saying. I this is this is a line that I think Vegas is begging is begging people to throw money at Texas A and M on. Um, and this this to me is just like an obvious line where Vegas is trying to get you. And Mississippi State, they they think Mississippi State, I think is 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 better.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. And you know, I, I, this is interesting, just from a personal sense, because now we're, we're towards the latter half of the season. A uh, and M off a bye, by the way, so I mean maybe that'll help. I mean Jimbo Fisher is a really good coach, and th- now this is A and M kind of going into the back half of the schedule without Kevin Sumlin for the first time in in quite a while. You know, this would be the kind of game that. There's no way A&M would would beat Mississippi State going on the road and with Kevin Sumlin at head coach just because that's just that team just could not I will say every once in a while that team would beat a ranked opponent when you didn't see it coming but Mississippi State ain't ranked and I just with Jimbo Fisher I guess the point is, is I'm a lot more confident in A&M now and we'll see you know maybe it was just a Texas A&M thing and you know the last half of this season is going to be like it has been the past 4 or 5 years a&M and they just go eight and seven and five eight and four again or whatever so that's another kind of just since I've been around AM a little bit more than I would have liked so uh, I'll, I'll lean with the Aggies you're with Mississippi State final game Washington State at Stanford and uh, Washington State coming off a big time emotional win over Oregon Stanford is favored by three points uh, I think this is uh, I'm going to use the same principle that you just used with Mississippi State I'm going to grab Stanford minus three because I think we're getting pretty good value here with Stanford, Washington State. Uh, huge letdown spot for them. So I will, uh, I'll take Stanford at home, laying the three points. Uh, I don't like Stanford, but I'll, I'll, I'll lean Stanford. What about you?
0: I do like Stanford just for, for those exact reasons. Huge let, letdown game for Washington State. Programs like Washington State, they're the, type of, they're the types of programs who are very susceptible to letdown games. Um, I, and I, I see it happening here. I, I like Stanford quite a bit, actually.
1: All right. Last week, by the way, I didn't say this at the top, but Grant and I were both three and two last week. So we had a winning week a week ago. Uh, You're 18 and 17 for the season. I'm 17 and 18. So we're just we're just kind of hovering right around 500. So, I mean, not terrible, not great. Just right around 500. All right, we've got a little bit long today. That's it for us. Hopefully you all enjoy Oklahoma-Kansas State this Saturday. We'll be back right here Monday to break it all down. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.